Let's get into the message for today. So that comes from 1 John, chapter 2, verses 3 to 11. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know that we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother and sister is in darkness and walks around in darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. Let's pray. Father God, I just pray that, Lord, you would you would work through this word today that anything that is not of your word would just fall to deaf ears, Lord. And I just pray that through this message that we would understand your love and what it means to truly live for you, what you've done for us and how that shows in our life. So, Lord, just let your love pour out through us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How do I know I'm saved? How do I know I'm saved? It's a question I'm sure we've all asked ourselves before. It's a question that a lot of people struggle with, honestly. It's especially if we are young or we're a new believer. So how do we actually answer that question? Well, first we would want to ask ourselves a question. That's, do you believe that Jesus was born, died for our sins, and rose again so that we could have eternal life and we could be saved? To which I hope all of us here would answer yes. But the life of faith is much more than just answering that question. If we've truly accepted Christ, then that there's a certain change that happens in our life. We aren't the same after that. John explains this assurance of faith in these verses. And that's, if we accept God's love, we become characterized by that love. In other words, God's love changes us to love. This is the amazing evidence in our own lives that we are truly saved by Christ. And it's not only evidence to us, but it's actually evidence to the whole world that we are in Jesus. So, in today's message, John is explaining exactly what it looks like for a believer's life to be characterized by this love. It's the three pieces of evidence that are going to be shining through our lives that show that we've actually changed to look more like God, to accept his love. They are being obedient to God, living like Jesus, and loving our fellow brothers and sisters. So let's take some time now to look a little more closely at these three evidences and what they actually mean for our lives as Christians. So this first piece of evidence that we're talking about is that we are changed by God and that we are obedient to him. So John says here that we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. 
So what does that actually mean? Knowing God here means much more than just knowing someone like you would a celebrity or a person from work. It's actually much, much more than that. Rather, it's a deep and personal relationship. So to say you know God is much more than knowing the facts about him like you might read in the Bible or like some historical figure. If we say we know him, we know him as we would the people in our most intimate relationships in our life. Whether that be our husband and wife, a parent and a child, or our dear friends. That's what it is to know God. So if we genuinely love God and desire to know him in that sort of way, then it's clear here that we have to be obedient to him. I know, that's the one thing that almost no one will want to hear. A relationship with God requires obedience to him. And at one point or another in our life of uh, faith, we're going to be disobedient. No one's going to be obedient 100% of the time, but that tends to happen. Everyone's going to fall at one point. But if you're constantly running away from being obedient to God, then just as the word says here, you're probably seriously disconnected with God. You might not even have a relationship with him at all. And I know this also brings the thought that some of us are thinking, you know, I don't want to live my life with a bunch of rules and regulations. That's fair enough. I don't think anyone wants to live their life like that. But God doesn't just give us a bunch of rules to spoil our fun. When we think of obeying God, we tend to sort of think of this idea of God as some cosmic teacher who wants to stop us from having some harmless fun, like passing notes or having a little chat in class. But the reality of things is God wants us to obey just like a parent would. It's not because he hates to see us having fun, but because he knows what's best for us. That reality has come a lot more obvious in my life recently because I've been looking after my young nephew a lot. Now, he's only about 16 months old, but he loves getting into any cupboard he can or turning any knob he can or grabbing the most dangerous item around him. It's like he has a reverse spider sense. Instead of running away from the danger, he runs towards it. It's wild. And I literally don't think I can get through 10 minutes without him, you know, me having to tell him not to do something. And that's often met with many tears because to him, I'm just being mean. I'm not letting him have the things that he wants. But in my eyes, the only reason I'm doing that at all, the only reason I'm saying no, is because I want to keep him safe and sound. God, our Father in heaven, is exactly the same. While it doesn't always feel like it, obeying him is always our best option because even more so than an earthly parent, he knows what's good for us, what's going to keep us safe and what's going to keep us growing. If we actually understand the immensity of God's love for us, how much he truly loves us, that he would send his one and only beloved son, Jesus, to die in our place, when that understanding becomes a reality in our life, when we accept the truth of that, it changes our hearts. God really does become our loving parent. We can see that. We should want to follow and obey him, just like a child does their parent. And when that happens, there's something that actually amazing that actually happens in our life. Our, God, our love for God is made complete. <clears throat> that means that when we fully understand just how much God loves us and how much he cares for us, then when that becomes the reality of our life, the only response is to love him more. 
And obedience flows naturally from that. It's a two-way love relationship with God. The second piece of evidence that we're actually changed by God is that we live as Jesus lived. So the claim here that John is saying is that if we say we live in God, then we need to live as Jesus did. This is because every day, Jesus did just that. He lived in the presence of God. What this means for us is that our earthly life has, should be modeled. Sorry, Jesus' earthly life should be modeled, a model for our very own lives. Now, I know that we tend to say that a lot. You know, we need to live like Jesus, and it, it sort of doesn't necessarily mean anything at the time when we hear it. So, what is John specifically talking about here? What does it mean to live like Jesus in John's eyes? Well, there's one very important area of Jesus' life and teaching that John's pointing out here, and that's love. John does this by talking about the old and new commandments that we see in verses 7 and 8. So the old command that he's talking about in verse 7 is a reference to the commands of Deuteronomy and Leviticus. We won't go to Deuteronomy and Leviticus because Jesus actually refers to them in Mark 12, 28, 31. So Mark 12, 28, 31. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Jesus calls this the most important commandment, that we would love God without everything, our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that we would love our neighbors just as much as we love ourselves. So that command is pretty simple. We've all heard it before, and I'm sure we all know it pretty well at times uh, by this point. So what's the new command that John is talking about? It's not that he just made something up, right? Well, he's actually talking about a command that Jesus gave in John 3, 13, 34. So John 13, 34 reads, A new command I give you, love one another, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Sorry, as I have loved you, so you must want love one another. So as much as this is a new command from Jesus, it's actually just that same old command that we just looked at, but the only difference is Jesus brought it to a whole new level. It wasn't enough to just love our neighbor. It wasn't enough for him to love his neighbor as himself. Jesus exemplified what it meant to love his neighbor by actually demonstrating his self gives <laughs> my apologies self-giving love for us in everything that he did even to the point of dying on the cross for us so living like Jesus did means living means genuinely loving both God and your neighbor in a self-sacrificing way but what does that practically look like in our life? Well, it looks a lot like the story of the Good Samaritan. You know, the Good Samaritan saw somebody who would normally be his enemy. He saw that he was in need of help, and he wasn't worried about the guy's race or what he could gain from the situation. 
Rather, he just saw another human in need of compassion. So he decided to help him out. And he didn't just stop at patching up the guy at the side of the road, like we might expect him to do, but he took him to an inn and he paid for him to stay and he to be cared for. I mean, this guy could have just walked by. He could have just patched him up, but instead he took the time to lift him out of his situation and really care for the man. This is what it means to love our neighbor. It's doing everything within our capacity, even if it means sacrificing yourself to help those who really need it, just as Jesus did for us. And when we love just as God is love, when we live out this sort of love, we show the truth and light of God. The love between God and us becomes so evident in our life that people will see it before we even mention Jesus. People will know that we are living like Jesus without us ever having to say a word. We become like a living, breathing, walking piece of evidence to God's love that has been poured out to others and is often the... Sorry. That kind of love is often the greatest piece of personal testimony that we can ever give to the reality of God. That kind of love opens people's eyes to see who God is before they would ever be willing to hear about the gospel. We become the living light of truth in the world if we truly decide to love our neighbors like this. The third piece of evidence that we're changed by God is that we love our fellow believers. We can claim that we're living a life changed by Christ, but if we hate a fellow believer, then we're not actually living in the new light of Christ at all. See, we're still living in the same old darkness we were in before. The darkness of hate ends up blinding us to the evils of our life. We, but when we actually choose to step out of that darkness into the light of love, it allows God's light to shine over our light, our life, and we'll no longer be living in that darkness. We'll no longer be living in the confusion of hate. And I'm sure it seems a little unnecessary at this point to have this third piece of evidence, right? Like, if we are already called to love our neighbor, why are we also called to not hate our fellow believers? Well, that's because all of these pieces of evidence actually work together. It all starts with knowing God and his love for us and choosing to obey him. And when we choose to obey his commands, then that means we're living like Jesus, which starts with following the greatest command, to love God and our neighbor. So the first two pieces of evidence call us into a Christ-like love for everybody around us. And there is no better test of that Christ-like love to see that we're actually living it out than to love the unlovable people around us. Now, I personally believe that we're pretty blessed here because we're all super lovable, but at the end of the day, Every person that goes to this church or any other church is imperfect. We all make mistakes and there are times that we end up hurting those around us and other times we end up getting hurt by the people around us. Those hurts can completely break a relationship. But it's not always those big things. There's also the times that we're bound to get on people's nerves a bit. While those little things may be fine if we were just seeing people every now and then. We tend to see these people from church every week. So the little things that annoy us can start to build up. And while we may not hate them, 
we can end up having a really bad dislike for them. And often that results in, results in people starting to ignore each other or even tra treating each other a little bit mean. And if you think, you think seeing the person once in a while was bad enough, once a week is bad enough, you can only imagine how much worse it would have been in John's time because they were meeting every single day in house churches. So I'm sure there was plenty of people back then who were really not liking each other. But the point of this is that most of the time it's not hate. It's, but it is very easy to start to dislike someone. But if we let that dislike sit, we really aren't loving that person. It's easy to love the stranger who needs help because we know it's the right thing to do. We can see that they need the help and we just do it. That's why the real test of love is when we actively choose to love those people we don't. Now, please do know as I'm saying this, I understand that some of us are living with serious hurts. Some of those things aren't easy to overcome and we do need real healing from that. So this forgiveness can be a challenge. I, I am not discrediting that at all. But So this doesn't mean that you have to go out and be best friends with the person. And if you do that now, it'll be pretty obvious, so don't. But we do need to make a practical change in our life. We have to choose to do something even if we don't want to do it. Because as much as they've done things to hurt us, to make us hate them, we've done even more to Jesus ourselves. Yet he still forgives us each and every day. So when we choose to make that change, the very first step, sorry, when we choose to make that change, the very first step to turn from hating that person to loving that person is prayer. Prayer is the only thing that's really going to change our hearts. Nothing will ever change if we don't start praying for them first. And I don't mean that we should pray for them to stop doing the things that annoy us. Instead, we should genuinely pray for them like we would those that we love. Pray that God would move in their hearts and lives, that they would love him and desire him more each and every day. And pray for yourself that you would turn from hating them to loving them and start seeing them as God does. While this may seem like a trivial action, it's something that can actually be genuinely hard to do. Because we need to put ourselves aside. We need to ask God for them to receive the very best thing possible. Something that we often forget to do for ourselves. But when we do start to pray like that for people that we don't like, God moves and changes our hearts. You won't keep viewing that person the same way. God's going to change your heart to start seeing them as he does. And again, for those who have been really hurt, I understand exactly how hard it can be. But praying for that person who hurt you is often the very first step in healing from those hurts. Because only God's love can actually mend and change our hearts. And while this change from hate to love has this fantastic practical implication on our own lives, it actually has another uh, change to the church. See, what John said here was that um, whoever loves a fellow believer lives in the light and there is nothing to make them stumble. But the Greek translation, well, the translation of Greek is actually can kind of be read in two ways. So the first is the more obvious one that we just read, which is, 
that you're less likely to stumble if you love a fellow believer. But the other translation that sort of gets lost in the English is that if we love our fellow believers, there is nothing within us to cause anyone else to stumble. See, intentional, obedient love doesn't just change our own nature, but it actually changes the nature of those that we are loving in the church. If we hate another person in some sort of small way, we're bound to act in that sort of hate, whether you know we say something bad to a person or we treat them wrongly. And that sort of hate spreads. But if we choose to love them intentionally instead and treat them as someone you love, that love is infectious. It doesn't just change your heart, but it changes the hearts of those around you as well, and it'll probably change that person's heart too. So rather than being a community of people who would pull each other down, we can be a community that builds each other to love Christ and our neighbor more each and every day. But that start, that change starts with an intentional choice to love even if we don't want to. So when we have genuinely experienced Christ's love for us, when we've accepted that, it changes us. The love of God changes us to love and become a beacon of love. When we genuinely live out the love that he has shown us, it becomes so obvious to ourselves and others that we are genuinely living for Christ. When we know just how much God loves us as our Father, we'll want to obey, knowing that's what's best for us. When we know just how much Christ is willing to sacrifice for us and we live our lives in that love, the other people around us will see the light of Christ in our life. And when we love and forgive those around us just as Jesus chose to forgive us of everything that we did to him, our love for our fellow believers and our love for God as a community is bound to grow. God's love changes everything. And we are changed by him to shine that love to the whole world. God genuinely does love you so much. So let that love change your heart. So church, as we come to a close today, I'd ask that you would take a step in living out that kind of love that he's poured out to you. Ask yourself if your life shows evidence of his love for you. Do you need to grow in obedience? Do you need to start loving your neighbor? Do you need to learn to forgive? If so, then you need to let God's love change your heart because that's the only way that we can take a step. And that's the thing that will truly reassure us that we're living for him each and every day. So church, as we pray, wouldn't you just spend some time thinking about God's love for us? Just think about how much he really loves you, how much he's shown that to you through the Gospels. And let's pray that he would change our hearts to be like his own, that we would start to shine our lives with this sort of evidence of his love, that we would genuinely do this for him. Let's pray.
God, you first loved us so that we could know that you loved us and we could come to love you. Lord, make the reality of your love more and more evident in our lives every single day. Let us see that for ourselves. Let us know that as truth. And Father God, help us to live out that sort of evidence. Lord, help us to be obedient in love to you. Help us to love our brothers and sisters and our neighbors, God. Help us to shine this sort of love onto the world so that, Lord, everyone else in the world could come and see your love, so everyone could see exactly how much love you have to offer, Father God. Lord, we just thank you. We thank you for the love. We thank you for everything that you're doing in our lives and changing us to be more and more like you. And thank you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.